humanity is in the hot seat. Today, the World Meteorological Organization and the European Commission's Copernicus Climate Change Service are releasing official data that confirms that July 2023 is set to be the hottest month ever recorded in human history. The consequences are clear and they are tragic. Children swept away by monsoon rains, families running from the flames, workers collapsing in scorching heat. And for scientists, it is unequivocal. Humans are to blame. All this is entirely consistent with predictions and repeated warnings. The only surprise is the speed of the change. The era of global warming has ended. The era, the era of global boiling has arrived. The air is unbreathable. The heat is unbearable. And the level of fossil fuel profits and climate inaction is unacceptable. Well, I'll come back to that in a moment. Hello, I'm Lyle Shelton. Welcome to the show. Coming up this week, it's another packed one. The powerful new film, Sound of Freedom, is coming to Australia on August 24. It's the true story of a US Homeland Security officer, Tim Ballard, who goes rogue to rescue children from the evil of the global child sex trade. But if you listen to the mainstream media, you'd think the problem is being over-egged, that Sound of Freedom is stoking a moral panic, and we should cool our jets about children being raped by pedophiles. Seriously? In a moment, I'll talk to someone who heads an Australian organisation that rescues children from and women from sex slavery. Family First candidate for the by-election that's coming up in the Victorian seat of uh, Warrandyte has hit the ground running. I'll cross to Melbourne and talk with Richard Griffith-Jones about why a father and grandfather has put his hand up for political office for the very first time in his life. And of course, Kiralee Smith joins me to discuss what's happened in the past week in the ongoing war against girls and women and children that is being waged by the LGBTIQA plus political activists with the support of Liberal and Labor politicians. We have to keep talking about this stuff. All that and more, don't touch that dial. But first, the clip I played at the start of the show was not an ageing Greta Thunberg identifying as a man. It was the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres stoking the fears of climate alarmism yet again. Now, fewer people are buying the climate scare uh, and more and more are questioning the exorbitant cost of the transition away from cheap and reliable electricity that has been forced upon us as the result of such rhetoric. It took the Australian newspaper's US correspondent, the brilliant Adam Crichton, 30 seconds to debunk that nonsense. This week, he interviewed two scientists. John Christie is a professor of atmospheric sciences at the University of Alabama at Huntsville. He told Crichton that the heat waves in the first half of the 20th century were at least as intense as those of more recent decades based on consistent long-term weather stations going uh, back over a century. Uh, this is what he told Crichton. I haven't seen anything yet this summer that's an all-time record for these long-term stations. 1936 still holds by far the record for the most number of stations with the hottest ever temperatures. Well, you know, that's not what we've been hearing uh, during this hot northern summer. Crichton also reported that Cliff Mass, Professor of Atmospheric Sciences 
at the University of Washington said the public was being misinformed on a massive scale following a deluge of news reports that summer heat waves in the US and Europe had pushed July's average temperature above 17 degrees and allegedly to the highest level in 120,000 years. You know, it's interesting when two eminent scientists debunk all this nonsense. But this hasn't stopped Australia's rush to renewables, uh, the cost of which we are only just starting to wake up to. Any vision for a return to the sunlit uplands of affordable and reliable electricity is thwarted by the Labor, Liberal, Greens and Teal fixation with uncosted net zero policy. They are all signed onto net zero. Not even last week's dire news that one in 10 Australians could not afford to pay an electricity, gas or water bill in the last three months to June is enough for our politicians to hit pause on the rollout of expensive and ineffective windmills and solar panels. A similar number of, a similar number of people defaulted on their mobile phone bills. People are just doing it tough, yet the Albanese government remains fixated on its $360 million racially divisive and deceptive voice referendum. It continues the rushed replacement of cheap and reliable power with uncertain electricity, which is estimated to cost an eye-watering $1.5 trillion between now and 2030. We've talked about that previously on this show. The pain is being felt acutely, and anyone who thinks these capital costs won't show up in families' electricity bills over the next seven years is kidding themselves. The Australian newspaper reported last week that households and businesses face extended power price pain into next year after the energy market operator revealed the cost of generating electricity rose 31% in the three months to June. Labor's Energy Minister Chris Bowen, and I think that's a misnomer to call Chris Bowen an energy minister because he's de-energising and de-industrialising our country, but Chris Bowen uh, has to roll out 22,000 solar panels per day, 40 industrial wind towers per month, and 10,000 kilometres of new transmission towers and wires by 2030 to meet Labor's target of reducing uh, emissions by 83%. Now, Chris Bowen keeps asserting that renewables are the cheapest form of electricity. He just keeps repeating this mantra. But despite years of billions of dollars of taxpayers' subsidies, and, and remember both sides of politics have been putting billions and billions of your money into windmills and solar farms, anyone who has paid an electricity bill in the last 10 years has only seen them go one way, and that is up at an ever-increasing rate. Bowen's words about renewals, renewables being the cheapest form of electricity simply don't ring true and are unlikely to ever be realised. In a column in The Australian, Claire Lehman of Quillette magazine reveals that Bowen's claims rest upon one CSIRO, CSIRO report that does not include the costs of constructing the massive number of solar panels, windmills, the snowy 2.0 hydro, and the tradition and the transmission lines. Remember, 10,000 uh, uh, kilometres of transmission lines needed to convert to renewable energy away from reliable gas and coal. Now, citing the findings of German-American energy economist Robert Adele, Claire Lehman writes the following. 
When taking into account the full cost of renewables to an electricity system, solar is, wait for it, 14 times more costly than nuclear energy. Remember, Labor keeps telling us nuclear is unaffordable. And wind is 4.7 times more costly. Now, in Texas, uh, Idell's methodology calculates that solar is 3.3 times more costly than nuclear, and wind is 2.3 times more costly uh, than, than nuclear as well. Now, we keep hearing about the fact that, you know, we're getting technology like storage, battery storage coming along, but the reality is the current state of battery technology uh, is that the amount of electricity that would need to be restore, uh, stored to power a modern city for more than just a few minutes, well, that storage capacity has not even been invented, yet we are rushing away from reliable electricity and we're making our electricity unreliable. When asked recently on 2GB Radio how the renewables infrastructure would be built in time by 2030 to meet Labor's uh, policy ambitions, very reasonable question, Anthony Albanese could not say. But hand on heart, do you really believe that between now and 2030, we can build 22,000 solar panels a day, 40 new wind turbines a month, and 10,000 kilometres of transmission lines. Well, really? I think what we can do, Ben, is get to 43% by 2030. I think one of the things that uh, happens uh, with renewables is technology is getting better and better, and we just have to uh, transition. He's got no idea. They don't have a plan. This is uncosted. We just have to get there. Um, now, anyone who knows anything at all about public policy knows that hope is not a strategy. Australia's bipartisan net zero energy policy, driven by climate alarmism of the type that we saw from the United Nations at the top of the show, is a shambles. Australia's advantage as an energy superpower should not have been squandered at the behest of global elites spruiking climate alarmism. While opposition leader Peter Dutton is making some encouraging noises about nuclear energy, there is no sign he would stop the rollout of windmills and solar panels in pursuit of the globalist net zero obligations his predecessor as Liberal leader Scott Morrison signed the nation up to. To try and provide relief for the cost of living crisis created by both sides of politics, the Albanese government announced in its recent budget that it is shelling out $3 billion of your money, giving it back to you, uh, to 5 million low-income households so that they can afford to pay their electricity bills. So politicians make your bills more expensive and then they give you money back to try and fix the mess that they have created in your hip pocket. Albanese is clearly embarrassed by his pre-election promise that bills would come down by $275 per year. Remember that promise spouted over and over again during the election campaign. Our bills would be $275 lower under an Albanese government. Of course, that's turned out to be a big fat furphy. It's rare for government money being shoveled out like the $3 billion to relieve electricity pain it's rare for government money being shelled out to not act like petrol on a dumpster fire when it comes to inflation. So they're just compounding the cost of living crisis through their actions. Politicians who failed to plan the economics and the engineering of the rush to renewables are making the cost of living crisis that you're feeling worse. When we know the globe is not boiling, 
The question is, why are we doing this to ourselves? It is the fastest growing international crime network that the world has ever seen. It has already passed the illegal arms trade, and soon it's gonna pass the drug trade. Because you can sell a bag of cocaine one time with a child, five to 10 times a day. God's children are not for sale. How long have you been doing this? 12 years now. How many pedophiles you got? 288. How many kids you found? For Homeland Security, you know we can't go off rescuing Honduran kids in Colombia. Which means she'll disappear for good. Imagine walking into a room right now, seeing an empty bed. What we do? You quit your job and you go and rescue those kids. At this moment, she could be a block down the road, or she could be in Moscow, Bangkok, L.A. She's a major operator. It's all rebel territory. No one goes in. Not the army, not the police, not us. What if this was your daughter? There's no Marine unit coming. You're on your own. This job tears you to pieces. And this is my one chance to put those pieces back together. When God tells you what to do, Well, I don't know about you, but even just watching that trailer uh, is quite emotional. Can't wait to see the whole film. This is a film about a Christian US Homeland Security agent, Tim Ballard, who goes rogue to rescue, ch rescue children from sexual slavery. Uh, the film Sound of Freedom will open in Australian cinemas on August the 24th. It stars Jim Caviezel as as Ballard. Now, Caviezel is well known for playing Jesus in Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ movie. Sound of Freedom was a surprise hit, grossing 149 million US dollars at the box office since its opening only on July 4. The film has been treated with suspicion and even scorn by mainstream media who seem to bear animus against anything that might be remotely Christian despite the deeply compelling cause it champions. Disney, which sadly has become more known these days for pushing harmful gender fluid ideology on children by placing transgender characters in its films, turned down the opportunity to produce Sound of Freedom. It was picked up by Christian studio Angel Films, which produced the crowdfunded Chosen series about the life of Jesus, which many would be familiar with. They have now hit pay dirt big time and Disney must be ruining its lost opportunity. This and the fact that Sound of Freedom was promoted by right-wing figures in America such as Mike Lindell of MyPillow and Steve Bannon have contributed to the negative reviews and quite frankly, the sneering that we've seen in the mainstream media. Now, whatever one's political views, surely left and right can unite around one thing, and that is that child sexual slavery is evil. 
Now, due to popular demand, the film is coming to Australia. That was never guaranteed. And it's already been advertised on the Hoyts website. There's great anticipation building. A couple of weeks ago, I listened to the real-life Tim Ballard give an interview with Canadian psychologist and cultural commentator Jordan Peterson. I was shocked as Ballard gave the backstory of how he got involved and outlined the magnitude of the crisis. Uh, that are being, this, these are Department of Labor, UN, these are sources that, um, you know, the, the, the best we have that say that there's close to six million children or more who are forced into sex slavery labor slavery or organ harvesting. And I can attest that I have been involved in, in cases involving all three of those forms of slavery multiple times and is absolutely is a real thing. Um, <clears throat> it's not even far, far from home. Uh, it's the United States is the number one consumer year after year of child rape material. Now, many people may not know that there are Australians doing and funding the work that is dramatised in The Sound of Freedom. Joining me to discuss the evil which Sound of Freedom confronts is someone who confronts this evil every day in his day job. Paul Murgard is the CEO of the Sunshine Coast-based Destiny Rescue. Paul, welcome to ADHTV. Thanks for having us, Lyle. It's really great to be here. Well, well Paul, we've just seen um, and heard those figures from Tim Ballard, which are horrific. Why does the issue of child sexual slavery hardly register in the public's consciousness these days? Mm. Yeah, Lyle, look, we're really grateful for the film just for the fact that it's raising awareness of this issue and getting it in the public sphere. I would think, and my experience would show me over, you know, 20-odd years, that a lot of people in Australia, it either becomes, the issue becomes triggering if they've had abuse in their in their past, or it's sometimes just an issue that people just don't want to think about. But, you know, we we really know that as a, for a society, we've got to be raising the awareness of this because there are over a million children trafficked every year into the sex trade. And it's something that Australians are certainly part of pe perpetuating, uh, particularly with our online habits and then what people do when they travel overseas for business or work. Yeah, interesting. I want to come back to those online habits in a moment. But, um, Paul, for those who aren't familiar with you, um, uh, in 2008, you were on a fact-finding trip to Mumbai in India to better gain an understanding of the social mm. factors that lead to children being sexually exploited. What did you see there and how did that change your life? Yeah, look, that, I go back to that trip in 2008. You know, I'd already been advocating around the issue of human trafficking for quite a number of years. And I got to the point where I just felt like I needed to go a lot deeper and understand the issue a lot more. And I went to Mumbai and I met a lady called Anita. And, you know, I probably think about Anita most days of my life. As a nine-year-old girl, she was already working in a garment factory in Nepal. And a lady came into the garment factory one day and said to her and her friend, if you come with me, I'll get you a better job. You can earn more money and you can, you know, help your help support your family more. What Anita and her friend didn't realise is that she'd just been given an invitation uh, to be trafficked across the border into India and she spent the next 15 years of her life working in a brothel <clears throat> and, um, you know, being brutally raped day in, day out, uh, no freedom, no opportunity. Thankfully for Anita, she was able to eventually escape that work, but after around about 15 years of just being sold day in, day out, and what I discovered was a woman who had been redeemed and who had absolutely found redemption. Anita then was working with another NGO that was helping other women and kids come out of the sex trade. And, you know, I got to 
learn a lot about her story. I got to meet her children and it absolutely changed my life. I came home from that trip, uh, I guess, with a desire to honour the legacy that uh, Nita had endured and to help make sure that other kids didn't have to endure the same fate that she'd been through. Mm. And, and that's obviously led you to becoming uh, the CEO of Destiny Rescue. Now, people are going to see Sound of Freedom uh, in, a, in a couple of weeks' time, but uh, your organisation, Destiny Rescue, actually does the sort of work that Tim Ballard does in this dramatic movie. Tell us about the organisation. Yeah, we do similar work than what you see, I guess, in the, the movie. The movie, I suppose, displays one I've been lucky enough to see the movie uh, now. I've been in the US in the last couple of weeks and was able to see it. But, um, you know, it, I guess it gives one narrative out of the millions of different stories that are shown every year of, of children and adults as well that have been trafficked. What Destiny Rescue does, though, is, you know, we've been operating for 22 years this year. We were founded on the Sunshine Coast. We operate in five regions around the world where we go into some of the darkest places on the planet to identify where children particularly are being trafficked and work with law enforcement to get those uh, children and adults uh, out to safety and then we get them on a pathway to freedom, helping them overcome the emotional and trauma abuse that they've suffered, uh, work on their health needs and then get them into either income generating opportunities or get them on educational pathways as well. And you know, so we've uh, now rescued around about 13,000 individuals since we started. Uh, this year, we've rescued 1,600 already. Wow. And uh, we are absolutely committed as an organisation. We want to see 100,000 rescues, mm. 100, rescues by the end of the decade. Well, that's, uh, that's amazing, Paul. Um, and, and when we consider those statistics of, of children trafficked into sexual slavery in, in the millions, uh, um, it's a massive, massive job. But um, mm. I'm sure, obviously, it makes a difference to those uh, tens of thousands that you are helping and, and I'm sure other organisations around the world. But the need is huge. Um, Paul, the, the, the mm. Guardian newspaper, um, it, it published a, a sneering review of Sound of Freedom with mm. barely disguised contempt for Tim Ballard's Christian faith. Mm. Um, what alarmed me was that The Guardian seemingly downplayed the issue of global sex trafficking of children. Is, is there a danger in denying or downplaying this problem? Yeah, look, Lyle, we certainly shouldn't be downplaying the issue of sex trafficking because there's over a million children trafficked every year into the sex trade. In fact, the UN Special Reporter a number of years ago, uh, it was the UN Special Reporter on the sale of children, child prostitution and child pornography, stated that Australians have been identified as the largest group of sex tourists prosecuted in Thailand over a 10-year period. It is a huge issue for Australians, um, and regardless of anyone's faith, it's something that as a society we should be standing up and saying, this is not right and, and we need to bring a stop to this. Uh, that makes me ashamed to be an Australian, knowing what you just said about Thailand. Um, mm. You mentioned earlier in our chat um, Australians' online habits. Um, what role does pornography mm. play in influencing the development of people who progress on then to pedophilia? You know, is so-called soft porn, mm. which our society seems to readily accept, is that really a gateway drug mm. to harder things? Yeah, well, the Australian Institute of Criminology are doing a number of doctorate-level studies on this issue. Uh, they're probably a lot more equipped to answer that question than what I am. 
What I think we see is that online platforms, and that can be, you know, people's habits at home. It can be chat groups. It can be Facebook Messenger, um, Snapchat, TikTok. All those platforms often have a role in in somewhat on every single rescue that we do. Uh, so, you know, again, uh, we as an organisation, we're really focused on the rescue of kids. We don't do a lot of research into some of those causes and, and you know, uh, on that, on the effects of porn. I know Bravehearts have done a lot of that sort of work and would probably be better you know, equipped to answer that question for you. Yeah, I think it's something that needs to be discussed. I was interested that Jordan Peterson raised it in his discussion mm. with uh, Tim Ballard. And as a psychologist, mm. he, he made the comment that, you know, there is a progression. And um, of course, the, the, the victims that you're helping um, yeah. don't just end up there, um, you know, out of a vacuum. Um, Paul, you, you mentioned you've just been in the US. You've seen the movie. Um, I've just seen the trailer. Um, mm. I'm interested in, in how it affected you. As you're familiar with the material, obviously, and the issues, but... Um, how did it affect you watching the movie and what can people expect when they go to the cinemas to see it? Look, I think there's a couple of key things that people have to remember. It's a Hollywood film. It's not a documentary. It's based on a true story. But, uh, you know, there and there's a number of FAQs that have been put out by Angel Studios and whatnot talking about what's fact and what was, you know, I guess... Uh, 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 made for a Hollywood audience. But, you know, it is pretty confronting to watch. Uh, it is talking about, I guess, a style of rescue that was probably perpetuated a lot more 10 years ago. And I think the only trafficking or organisations like Destiny Rescue, our, um, you know, our methods have changed a lot over the last 10 years as well. Um, but, look, it is a powerful story. And I think, for me, I'm just appreciating the fact that it is putting this topic on you know, out in the public domain for people to talk about. Um, you know, I'd certainly encourage people to see it, but, you know, realise that it's only one story out of a million or so stories told every year from individuals that are being trafficked. And so, um, yeah, it's it's keeping in mind that it's a Hollywood production. Yeah, I think that that's important. But, um, of course, Hollywood is always preaching to us about a whole range of issues and, and seeking to move humans. Mm. Um, so if this moves people in a, in a positive direction and creates that awareness, uh, then mm. despite the fact that it's dramatised and, yes, you know, some of it will, there'll be poetic licence yeah. taken, uh, it's still going to serve a good purpose. Mm. Paul, um, how can people support uh, the work of Destiny Rescue? Yeah, thanks, Lyle. Look, we are really trying to help Australians, again, be aware of the issue, raise funds to rescue children. It, it, on average for us, it costs us $1,800 for every child that we rescue. And we'd love to give your listeners the opportunity to go to destinyrescue.org.au. You can see on our website a whole heap of documentaries, so factual and real-life documentaries that we've been able to produce uh, showing the work that we do around the world. But they could also have the opportunity to become a rescue partner and help us rescue children, and they can find all that information on our website. Fantastic. Um, I've had the privilege of hearing your staff give presentations over the years. It is amazing work. I'd encourage everyone to go to destinyrescue.org.au and uh, get involved in that. And go and see Sound of Freedom when it comes out in theatres nationally around the country in just a couple of weeks' time. Paul Sank, thank you so much for giving of your time today. Thanks so much, Lyle. Great to be here. 
Well, a by-election for the outer northeast Melbourne state seat of Warrandyte will be held on August 26. This follows the resignation from the Victorian Parliament of Liberal Ryan Smith. The Liberals have pre-selected Nicole Werner and she is the favourite to win the seat, particularly with Labor choosing not to run. However, Family First, the party which I have the privilege of being the National Director of, is running to ensure the values of mainstream Australians are on the ballot paper. With Labor and the Liberals on a unity ticket on electricity price hiking, net zero policies and damaging social policy like encouraging sexualised gender fluid drag queens to be role models for children, Family First sees no option but to be in the fight. Our local candidate is father and grandfather Richard Griffith Jones. He has hit the ground running, attracting the attention of the Herald Sun newspaper with his call to ban LGBTIQA plus drag queen story times in public buildings. Richard joins me now. Richard, welcome. Uh, as I understand it, you've Thank never you. stood for politics before in your life. Why are you stepping up now? Ah, the good question could be, why did it take so long to do it? But um, why now? Um, I, I think you may be aware I lived outside of Australia for quite some years and I returned because of COVID. But in the whole time that I was outside of Australia, I watched with disdain as I saw the Western world and particularly Australia go woke and more woke and more woke, like the proverbial frog sitting in the hot water with the wokeness being turned up incrementally so that as a country, we didn't know what was going on. Um, I looked at politics when I first came back to Australia. I looked at a couple of major political parties and found that they weren't really addressing the problems. They weren't addressing the desires of the, the man in the street, the quiet Australians. And I, I think now that we, the, the quiet or the silent Australians, have been pushed so far to one corner with all the wokeness that it's time to push back. I enjoyed a very uh, brief encounter with politics last year when I stood for the seat of uh, Ringwood for Family First. And, and that really energised me to want to do something more. And when I saw Family First was looking for a candidate for Warren Dyett, I thought, now's the time to put my hand up. Albeit, though, I was a little bit ambivalent about the whole thing. And it wasn't until one day, yet again, I saw an email from John Pesuto talking about all the terrible things Dan Andrews is doing. And, and what always got me about this was that it's very easy to point the finger at the, the government, but you have to do something about it. You have to mm. fight it. You can't walk lockstep with them and you can't criticise people in your own party for criticising the failures or the, the wrong policies of the government. So... Yes. No, that's very that's good, Richard. Um, no, well, that, that's inspiring. And I think I said this was the first time in your life you'd stood for political office, but in fact, it is the second. You stood for family first at yes, the, second, at, yes, at the yeah. general election. And, but uh, nonetheless, you're standing up again because you've seen the direction Australia is going. Uh, you quite rightly make the point. I mean, this is why family first is here. Um, that there's no difference between John Pesciuto and Daniel Andrews, on, on the big issues, whether it's net zero policies, which are ratcheting up electricity prices, or, or whether it's the social policies. Yeah. Um, now, now, you came out swinging about 
um, both of those issues, uh, the, the cost of living pressures driven by the windmills and solar panels that both sides of politics want erected all over the countryside that don't supply reliable and cheap electricity, and also about the social policies uh, with regard to both sides supporting drag queens being placed as role models in front of little children. Mm. Um, how did it feel to see your name in the headlines of uh, one of Australia's biggest selling newspapers? Uh, it was uh, sobering. <laughs> it was humbling. Um, it was, uh, uh, you, you know, it, it made me aware that I'm carrying the flag for family first. And it made me aware that should we be so fortunate to get the seat in Warrandyte, I would be representing the people of Warrandyte. It's a very, very humbling and uh, grave experience <laughs> to feel that you, you, you could be representing a lot of people yep. and having to stand up in the legislative assembly and speak on behalf of a, a, an electorate that does not agree with the government. And, and I think this is the responsibility of the representative of any electorate, that they have to represent the people. They have to go into the parliament and they have to tell the parliament what the people want, what the people don't like, and not just be too afraid to open your mouth. And I, I think that, that, that they're all the things that went through my mind mm. when I when I first saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look. Um. You know, we obviously at Family First appreciate what you're doing. You are carrying the ball forward for all of us. And it's and and yes, it is the people of Warrandyte, but people all over the country are watching this. And I think they're Absolutely. they're glad to see someone who's willing to take on these tough issues that the major parties have abandoned mainstream families and abandoned the families of Warrandyte on. Um, Richard, what's your advice to people who, like you, have you know watched the nation decline? You you notice that being overseas for a number of years and coming back, they've seen mm. the the economic mm. and social decline. What what should people do? Get involved. Is <laughs> bottom line. Get involved. But how do you get involved? You can get involved in varying degrees depending on how much time you have, how much passion you have. You have to start by talking about the issues to friends to people that you don't know too well, read about the issues. You have to write letters to your local member. You have to write letters to the leader of the opposition. You have to write letters to the premier or the prime minister. You have to find and you have to sign every online petition that is in line with your values and what you would like to see happening. You have to join a political party like Family First that's energizing and moving and pushing, pushing back on all the things that we quiet Australians don't don't like. Mm. Um, that, that's it. You can't sit and think that things will change by just hoping for it. That, that's um, terrific advice, Richard. Well, we're certainly really glad that you've joined Family First mm. and that you've gone to the next level of being able to put, being willing to put yourself on the line. We realise that's a sacrifice for you to be out there in the public square on contentious issues and it's a sacrifice for your family. Uh, Richard, we wish you all the best uh, in the upcoming by-election and uh, we certainly encourage people to go to the Family First website, familyfirstparty.org.au and uh, click on the, uh, the, the volunteer button uh, and, and join us and um, and get involved, and uh, particularly if you live in Melbourne, get involved as a volunteer on Richard's campaign. Richard, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Lyle. Thank you very much. Good to talk to you.
Well, it's time for our weekly segment on the war on girls and women and children, which is being waged by the LGBTIQA plus political movement. It's a pernicious war and the fire that is raging got its fuel from the movement's victories in Western countries where it successfully managed to convince weak politicians to degender marriage. Rendering the most sacred human bond between mothers and fathers and their children meaningless in law. This, of course, has not been without consequence, one of the biggest of which is the attack on children's gender and the constant indoctrination of them at school, through the media and through social media. Now, joining me for our regular conversation about this, because so much happens each week, is Kiralee Smith, the spokeswoman for Binary. Kiralee, the radicals are pushing this, that are pushing this movement are not taking any backward steps from their desire to ply children with puberty blockers and give them irreversible surgery. I was shocked, Kiralee, to see this headline in the Wall Street Journal last week proclaiming transgender America fights back. What's that all about? Uh, look, it, it's really quite disturbing and sad, Lyle, that, uh, you know, there's there's well, what's the good good news is that there are many states in America now signing into law protections for girls and women. Like it's 2023, I can't even believe that that is a thing. Yet there are other states in America that are uh, so-called refuge states for uh, patients or people who suffer gender dysphoria and who want to go down that pathway of drugs and surgery, particularly children. And they're, they're inviting those families into their states and uh, encouraging them to go on this pathway of irreversible harm. These First of all, the whole thing's based on a lie. No one can change their sex. It doesn't alleviate the gender dysphoria problems uh, to do these things. They're just costumes and yeah. uh, facades and uh, appropriation of stereotypes. And they're going to do, like, unbelievable, untold harm to these children uh, by inviting these families into the state so that they can uh, go on these courses of drugs and uh, and even surgery. Yeah, and this is the thing to keep in mind. This is about children. These, this fight back is so that they, in, in these Democrat-run states where a number, I think it's about 25 or 27 of the 50 US states have banned the mutilation of, of children, uh, surgery, puberty blockers, and yet these Democrat states are saying, come on over here and we'll do these irreversible surgeries, give you these chemicals, make you infertile for life. Unbelievable. Um, Kiralee, it, it, this you know, brings home you know, what you've featured uh, on the Binary blog this week, and um, that was the sensational testimony before the US Congress of um, Chloe Cole, who's now 18 years old. Uh, let's take a look. My name is Chloe Cole, and I'm a detransitioner. Another way to put that would be, I used to believe that I was born in the wrong body, and the adults in my life, whom I trusted, affirmed my belief, and this caused me lifelong irreversible harm. I speak to you today as a victim of one of the biggest medical scandals in the history of the United States of America. That's a huge comment. Um, I think she's right. Uh, what people may not know is that she had her breasts cut off as a 15-year-old. She's now 18, and here she is testifying before the US Congress as an 18-year-old. Now, we've still got Australian politicians and the ABC cheering on the child gender clinics that we have here in Australia. Um, why is it that just you and I on ADH TV are having this conversation? It's the biggest medical scandal in the history of the US and of Australia. Um, we've got to keep talking about this, haven't we, Kiralee? 
Absolutely. And I believe it was Chloe's 19th birthday that day that she was um, testifying before the, the Congress. And uh, her story is so powerful. It never, ever fails to move me. Every time I hear it in so many different contexts over the last year, uh, you know, and she does describe the very real, very harmful effects you know, obviously having uh, a double mastectomy at age 15, her breast tissue was completely and utterly healthy. There was nothing wrong with it. They removed healthy body parts from a healthy girl uh, who will now never be able to breastfeed and who knows what other problems. Uh, she, she even described that uh, this is quite graphic, but her nipples are still leaking. Um, and, and that's just horrific for a 19-year-old girl to be suffering along with a lowered voice and the possibility of baldness and... Uh, other issues that come along. And here in Australia, our politicians and very few medical practitioners, well, most medical practitioners are too scared to have these very serious conversations. We know that there's several countries now, once they've done the investigations, actually stop or pause uh, the issuing of puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones to children because it does a lot of damage without any proof of benefit uh, for those children who are taking it. And the bottom line is puberty is not a disease. Puberty is something that every single human being goes through and we need to be coming alongside these children and encouraging them, equipping them, enabling them to address the issues that are confronting them that are very difficult for a lot of them uh, but not with irreversible harm such as drugs and surgery. Yeah, I just think... Um Chloe Cole is the most courageous young person on the planet. Um, the fact that she can appear before the Congress last week for that not to be news in our mainstream media here, for that not to be being debated in our parliament right now is just outrageous. Now, we, we've had the ABC and you and I discussed the recent Four Corners program called Blocked, hosted by the LGBTIQA plus political activist journalist Patricia Carvelis, who's very high profile at the ABC. Um, I, I mean, shame on her for not showcasing more of um, people like Chloe Cole. But you've um, done some good work at Binary. Your ambassador, uh, Dr. Diana Kennedy, has produced an expert rebuttal of the ABC's cheering on uh, harming children like Chloe. Um, let's take a look. Children do not have the maturity to give informed consent to life-altering interventions. On the 10th of July, the ABC Four Corners presented a program entitled Blocked about gender dysphoria and its treatment in young people. I was so concerned by the coverage that I felt it incumbent upon me to provide a more balanced account of the current state of research in the care of these young people internationally. It was disappointing that the alternative view to gender-affirming care was awarded only 14% of the total airtime for the program. Yeah, I think that total airtime was close to an hour, so uh, <laughs> uh, it's unbelievable. Um, good on you, Kiralee and Binary, for putting uh, Dr Kenny's material up there. How important is it for people to educate themselves and access alternative material when the other side is so blatantly biased? Oh, look, it is utterly essential. I cannot encourage people strongly enough to uh, go to the website, watch her interview, read the transcript, and she's also put together a PowerPoint presentation to supplement all of that. She's put a lot of work and effort into this. And Professor Diana Kenny is not just an academic. She actually sees young people in her own practice that are suffering from gender dysphoria. And uh, unlike most uh 
practitioners in this country, she will address the underlying issues. She talks about that in her response. Um, it's, it's, you know, a very large percentage of these young people have comorbidities such as autism, mm. such as depression, trauma, uh, eating disorders and other things that go alongside it. And they are the things that must be addressed. And uh, she does a marvellous job of supporting families and young people through this very, very difficult process. She's one of the few practitioners in Australia who puts her head above the parapet. She's very calm, very rational, very informed and very experienced. And so Again, I just can't encourage people enough to go and listen to what she says because you will not hear this from the ABC or pretty much any other mainstream media outlet in Australia and it's a travesty because what she's saying is researched and evidence-based and that's the discussion we need to be having. That um, Absolutely. That video of um, Professor Kenny is uh, about 18 minutes. It's on the Binary blog. I'd encourage everyone to go there. We must get informed. Um, Kiralee, in the recent debate in the Queensland Parliament about Labor's new gender self-ID laws, uh, the Liberal National Party's Shadow Attorney General, Tim Nichols, said he agreed that there was no evidence that men identifying as women, which is what the law allows them to do, um, as identify as women and girls, he said that there was no evidence to show that uh, there's any harm done to girls and women if, if men want to just appropriate their gender and you know, live uh, as they see fit in their minds. Now, that's cold comfort, I'm sure, to most women, given that you've exposed this week, again on the Binary blog, what's happening in prisons. Yeah, and I don't have enough space to actually report on all of the things that are happening in women's prisons, but this last week we reported on two very violent criminals. One had bashed an inmate in, in jail and then claimed he was a female and, and was being transferred. The other one had uh, brutally murdered his two of his own children, uh, gravely harmed a third child and threatened his partner at the time. And uh, he was also being, uh, you know, had claimed that he was now female and moving to a female prison. And it's it's insane. I don't even know how any rational, logical person could accept that claim. And then to put vulnerable women who are inmates or, you know, already in such an incredibly vulnerable position uh, and expose them to these violent males is beyond comprehension and uh, there really should be serious consequences for those in power making these utterly horrific decisions. Absolutely. Everyone in the Queensland Labor Party who voted for this legislation and Tim Nichols from the LNP who got up and said everything's fine, um, they, there should be consequences for these people for ignoring the evidence. Now, another disturbing development, um, uh, Kiralee, in, in Canada, a post-op trans-identified man is seeking state-backed state state suicide. They have euthanasia in Canada. The LGBTIQA plus political activists, though, they keep telling us that children need to change their gender to prevent them from committing suicide. Why does someone who's changed their gender now want to access euthanasia? What's going on here? Oh, this is so horrific. And again, it's not the only story. It's the one we chose to highlight from the last week. Uh, this was a male to female transitioner who had his penis, uh, well, basically it was castrated, uh, tried to refashion it into some sort of neo-vagina that he has to dilate several times a day. He's in so much pain, there's so many infections that he would rather die than um, live with the consequences of his surgery and his actions. And, you know, on the 
on the other side of the coin, there's uh, Scott Nugent, if anyone wants to look him up, is a female to male transitioner who had her arm brutally mutilated to try and construct a penis that, of course, doesn't function. And she has incredible infections and difficulties every day of her life. And this is on both sides, Lyle. And it's that it's just a lie, again, that someone can change their sex and that mutilating a perfectly healthy body uh, to try and pretend that you're something that you're not is not the answer. In fact, um, the, the report in that said that about 80%, so 81%, sorry, so four out of five people who go through with the surgery five years later are still experiencing extreme pain and yep. complications from that surgery, that's an utter failure. Like yep. if if eighty percent of people having knee replacements were having infections and problems, we would it would be a massive scandal, and we'd change that sort of surgery. And yet, he's eighty one percent of these people now yep. complicated factors and issues already on top of what they're suffering. It's just cruel. It, it is absolutely cruel. Uh, the children in our child gender clinic should be told this. Uh, this is not a panacea for. Uh, people who, who think they want to commit suicide unless they can get a sex change operation. <laughs> the, the guy after his sex change operation is in such misery. Um, and, and Kiralee, what you said about people being unhappy uh, after they've had uh, this transition, of course, that was the subject of the Four Corners program. The Westmead clinicians bravely uh, published research which proved this. And of course, Patricia Carvelis and the ABC did a snow job on that and tried to discredit it. Um, so we're seeing truth being suppressed all the time in this debate. Um, Kira, um, our time's running out, but um, just quickly before you go, you tweeted this week, and again, I, I just want to keep highlighting this. Um, you rightly highlighted that it's uh, 124 days since the police came to your door. Remind our viewers why. It's still so hard to believe, Lyle. Uh, I merely exposed males playing in female sport in Australia and um, and now I have to face uh, two applications for apprehension of violence orders. Uh, and I'll say it over and over again, it is not violence to speak the truth, to point out the facts and to take uh, information that's publicly available and uh, republish it. So uh, that's all I did and I will defend myself in court. Uh, we have the hearings coming up in September and October and we're busy preparing uh, for those uh, court cases. Yeah, and we're all right behind you, Kiralee. Um, this is so un-Australian, what is happening, and uh, shame on our politicians for allowing the law to allow something like that to happen to people like yourself and so many others of us uh, that are facing uh, legal action out there. Uh, Kiralee, thanks again for joining us and uh, we'll look forward to chatting again next week. Thanks for having me, Lyle. Well, that's it for another week. Thanks so much for your company. Don't forget the Family First National Conference in Sydney featuring speakers such as former Deputy Prime Minister John Anderson, Daniel Wilde from the IPA, Kiralee Smith, James McPherson of Sky News and many others. Uh, this is being held on September 1 and 2 and you can register, get your tickets at familyfirstparty.org.au. Don't miss that conference. You can also follow me on Twitter at Lyle Shelton. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram and even on the new Meta Threads platform. I'll be back next Friday at 12 noon, streaming right here on ADH TV, or you can catch me along with the myriad of other leading conservative voices on demand on this platform anytime. Until next week, keep speaking up.